I wonder if you have ever had an absolutely incredible experience of hospitality. So I'll give you a moment to, to think of an incredible experience of hospitality. Well, I, I tell the story that came to mind immediately for me when I started thinking about this. Um, and, and mine is a, a relatively recent example. As some of you know, we were traveling over Christmas, and in the middle of our time traveling, we stopped and visited my brother and sister-in-law, um, who are currently living in Belgium. And uh, it was one of those hospitality experiences where I really didn't know what to expect. So my brother and sister-in-law have been married for 10 years. My brother's in the Air Force, and they've lived like all over, and we've never actually visited them in their home before. So I was really just thrilled to get the chance to see them and spend time with them. Um, but it turns out my sister-in-law has an amazing gift of hospitality. If you ever go to Belgium, I'll give you their address. Um, <laughs> She, she had the beds made up and the towels out. She had toiletries for us, thoughtfully thinking that we're traveling and living out of suitcases, right? Um, so much Belgian chocolate, like so much Belgian chocolate, you guys. Uh, they gave us access to their washing machine. They really just like invited us into their home and into their lives in a way that was really just amazing. And, and it was good to see them anyway, but just that the hospitality uh, that they showed to us when we visited was really wonderful. So I wonder if you have an experience that's similar to that. And, and I would guess that even if the particulars of your experience are, are quite a bit different, maybe involve less chocolate, um, I would guess <laughs> at the core, Someone took the time and put in the effort to truly think about what would make you feel welcome, what would make you feel comfortable, what would make you feel loved. And I think that's what we all desire when we experience hospitality, um, whether we're the guest or the host, right? We, we like experiencing this, we like creating this experience for others. We desire this connection that makes us feel or makes our guests feel loved and welcomed. And I, I think that this type of generous, loving hospitality gives us a taste of the kingdom of heaven. And so, if it gives us a taste of the kingdom of heaven, we shouldn't be surprised when we turn to the Gospels and we find examples of Jesus showing hospitality. And so, as part of our focus on what God has shown us is good, today we're going to look at how Jesus shows hospitality in the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And I will say it's an incredibly rich passage, so I feel like I'm just skimming the surface, but we're looking at Jesus' hospitality. And then we're going to think a little bit about how we can both accept Jesus' hospitality and then extend that generous hospitality to others. So, let, let's start by diving into the story and walking through this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And let's consider what type of hospitality Jesus shows. What, what are the characteristics of the hospitality that Jesus shows? And I'm, uh, in the tradition of preachers everywhere, I'm going to focus on three. Right, yes. Um, <laughs> Jesus upends our expectations about giving and receiving hospitality. Jesus knows and meets our deepest and truest needs. And Jesus' hospitality extends to everyone. So I think one of the first things that we notice in this passage is that Jesus reverses our expectations about giving and receiving hospitality. So when the passage begins, Jesus is the guest. The Samaritan woman is drawing water from the well that's in her own village, and Jesus is the traveler passing through. And so according to sort of the conventional rules of hospitality, this means that the woman should be welcoming Jesus and offering him water at the very least, and not ignoring him completely. 
Uh, but Jesus has to ask to receive hospitality, which, uh, if you've ever been in that situation as a guest, is, is awkward at best. But not only does he ask to receive hospitality, he asks to receive water from this woman, he goes on to say to her, if you look at verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus' offer of living water to the woman places him in the role of the host, which is an unusual positioning that flips what we would otherwise expect in a guest and host relationship in this type of situation. But in yet another upending, um, I'm going to back up a little bit and make it pretty clear that actually the fact that the Samaritan woman ignored Jesus at the well um, had very good reason. She had every reason to assume that Jesus would not have any desire whatsoever to interact with her, let alone receive her hospitality. If we look at verse 9, the woman says when Jesus initially asks for water, she says to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Because of the religious, ethnic, and gender differences between the two, and differences um, in terms of the religious and ethnic differences in particular that were more like oppositions or hostilities, we can begin to understand why the Samaritan woman began by ignoring Jesus. And then, when Jesus engaged her, she responds with really deep skepticism that he would actually request a drink from her. And so not only do we see Jesus acting as a host when he should be a guest, but now he's also extending this unexpected hospitality to the exact type of person that he should, by all cultural norms, avoid. And so what, what does this tell us about Jesus' hospitality? It tells us that Jesus extends hospitality even in situations where social conventions tell us that he should be avoiding contact or be the one who's receiving hospitality. And so it tells us that Jesus' desire to welcome us into his kingdom radically reshapes what hospitality looks like. And as Jesus reshapes what hospitality looks like, we continue to see how his hospitality meets our deepest and truest needs. So I think it's really fascinating. There's so many fascinating things about the story, but that it's taking place at a well. Because water is something that is essential to life, right? Second, probably only to oxygen. We need water to survive. So it's fitting, it seems, that Jesus begins this conversation at a well, and he asks to have his very human need, his thirst, addressed by a woman who's also addressing her equal human need, her thirst. She's gone to the, water to, or gone to the well to fetch water for herself. But very, very quickly, uh, by his second sentence to the Samaritan woman, Jesus indicates that he wants to fulfill an even deeper need by giving her living water, water that means that she will never thirst again. And it's not just the living water. We continue to see Jesus noticing and meeting this woman's deeper needs. As his conversation with her continues, he uh, indicates that he both knows her past and her present, and yet he still accepts her. He's meeting this need for acceptance. He takes her theological questions seriously in a culture that oftentimes didn't take women seriously. He extends an even greater act of hospitality when he tells her that 
even though her religious tradition is actually wrong about how best to worship God, she can still become one of those new worshipers of God who worship in spirit and in truth. And finally, he meets her longing for a Messiah by declaring to her that he is the promised savior to come. We all know that a good host considers our needs. But as this story shows us, Jesus has the ability to look beneath the surface and see what our deepest needs are. And his living water flows into all of those places. And then the third thing that I want us to notice about Jesus' hospitality is something that we've touched on slightly already. The surprising hospitality that Jesus shows to someone whom he could have ignored with like no comment or criticism whatsoever from the people around him. But I want to dive into this just a little bit more deeply, because not only is Jesus showing hospitality to an enemy, he's doing so in full knowledge of what kind of a person the Samaritan woman is. He knows her intimately in a way that makes her immediately identify him as a prophet. He knows things about her that he could not know without supernatural aid. And yet his hospitality, his offer of living water, his invitation to become one of these new worshipers of God, is not affected at all by what he knows about her. And I, I am going to pause here for a brief um, historical sidebar. Uh, much of the traditional understanding of the Samaritan woman at the well um, assumes that she must be guilty of some sort of sexual sin, the, the five husbands being the evidence there. Um, but there's a lot of recent scholarship that actually challenges that and um, points us to the idea that maybe it's a sort of misogynistic uh, assumptions of our cultures that make us assume she must be guilty of sexual sin. Just as a couple of notes um, in the passage itself, Jesus never accuses her of sin. He doesn't forgive her. He doesn't tell her to stop sinning. Um, so it, that begins to suggest that her serial marriages may not be the fault uh, or may not be due to persistent sexual sin on her part. Um, additionally, it's worth noting that from a historical perspective, it was incredibly rare for women to initiate divorce proceedings. That was just an incredibly difficult thing for women to do in that society. Um, so it seems much more likely that she's the victim of incredible bad luck. She was perhaps widowed a couple of times. Maybe she was infertile and divorced because of that. It's also worth pointing out that um, her cohabitation was maybe even less suspect, morally suspect, than we sometimes think. Um, it's quite possible that she was with a man who couldn't marry her for some reasons. Perhaps he was a Roman citizen, not legally allowed to marry her. Perhaps he had a, adult children from a previous marriage and he didn't want to run the risk that any of her children might disinherit his. These are historical situations that we know existed. Um, it was difficult to be a single woman in this culture, so it's possible that she was willing to take the security and forego legal marriage. And it's also worth noting that the willingness of her fellow villagers to listen to her um, at the end of the story when she tells them about Jesus suggests that she's not some sort of social pariah, or at least not entirely so. Um, so I, I just wanna, like I said, I wanna take a moment and as a sidebar there and say, um, she's probably not the sort of sexual sinner that she's often been painted to be. Regardless, however, it seems that she is the sort of woman who has had an incredibly difficult life. And it seems that it's also reasonable that she could expect that she would receive some sort of judgment or maybe just revulsion from someone who knows her entire life story, which is why she's not sharing that with Jesus when he asks her to bring her husband. But when she talks with Jesus, 
that revulsion, that judgment never comes. The offer of hospitality remains extended with no reservation. And so in this, Jesus is showing us that there's no preconditions for receiving hospitality. If a Samaritan woman who has been married five times can receive it, then truly Jesus is showing us that God's kingdom is open to everyone. So if Jesus shows us hospitality in these ways, I want to spend the next several minutes of the sermon thinking about what this hospitality means for us, right? We, we see what it means for the Samaritan woman, but what does it mean for us who are reading the story today? And I will end by thinking about what it looks like to extend Jesus's hospitality, but actually I want to start by looking at what it looks like to receive Jesus's hospitality. And I want to start here because I think it's often easier to be the one giving hospitality than receiving it, especially if we're not in a position to easily reciprocate. And I will say a quick overview of the literature on hospitality, both secular and uh, Christian, shows an overwhelming, um, I would say almost an exclusive focus on how to show hospitality. Um, when I finally broke down and did a Google search for how to receive hospitality, all I got was a series of websites with corporate policies on accepting gifts from clients. <laughs> um, so that this is apparently not something that people are, are talking about extensively. Um, but I, I think if we look at the story, we can see that even the Samaritan woman demonstrates how difficult it can be sometimes to receive hospitality. So if we look at verse 15, where she says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I think it's possible that we can read this as actually um, not a true request, but mildly sarcastic. Uh, because in her previous challenges to Jesus, uh, she tells him that he shouldn't be asking her for anything. She points out that he has nothing with which to fetch water from the well. Uh, she asks him if he really thinks he's greater than the patriarch Jacob, who gave them this well. This all to me suggests that she's not actually in a place where she's open to receiving Jesus's hospitality, at least not yet. And I wonder sometimes if we react in the same way to Jesus's hospitality. We wonder if he really can provide what he promises. And, and maybe we say the right thing, right? We say, sure, give me that living water. That sounds like a great idea. But all the while, we're lowering our pitchers down into the actual well that we can see right next to us. Um, and I'm going to pause right there and just say, because I, hopefully this may be helpful to some of you. Uh, I, I wrote that, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a great thing. I bet, I bet that's something that I've done. Um, and then God kind of like walloped me over the head this morning um, at the silent retreat with the way that I was currently doing that. So... Um, this is the danger of writing sermons, that sometimes you actually have to apply them to yourselves. Um, but I, I do think, like, this, this we, we say that we want to receive from God, but then we're busy fetching our own water for ourselves. I wonder, too, if the woman at the well, if she rejects Jesus' generous hospitality, not only because she doubts, which I think she does, but also because she couldn't possibly hope to reciprocate such hospitality. I think we often have the tendency to see hospitality as something that needs to be reciprocated, right? You get lunch this time, it's on me next time. Um, I would love to host my brother and his wife again, right? They have every expectation of being able to stay with us when they visit, even if I don't have the same gift of hospitality that my sister-in-law does. In short, hospitality without the expectation of reciprocity can feel really close to charity, and that can be difficult to accept. 
And so if you ever find yourself in the position where it's difficult to receive hospitality, and especially that extravagantly generous hospitality of Jesus, how do we get better at receiving that hospitality? And I have a couple of suggestions for us. And the first is, is a very inward one. So first, I would encourage us to imitate the woman at the well, um, not when she's challenging Jesus, but when she begins to accept that Jesus knows all about her and welcomes her into his kingdom anyway. We can accept that Jesus knows everything about us and welcomes us into his kingdom, despite all the reasons we can see for being excluded, despite our inability to reciprocate his hospitality. And I know that this sounds really simple, um, but it is incredibly difficult. It can be the work of, of many years or perhaps even a lifetime. But I think that spending time soaking in this reality that Jesus knows us and welcomes us can help us accept this truth, that Jesus wants to welcome us into his eternal kingdom, wants to nourish us with living water because we are his beloved children. And then the second way that I invite you to think about receiving Jesus' hospitality is actually um, through the sacraments, which are tangible representations of God's grace. Uh, so in baptism, we pass through the water. We're, we're back to water again. Uh, the water of baptism is a symbol of that living water that's provided by Jesus, and we pass through it into God's family. And at each baptism and at the Easter vigil, we also have the, um, the ability or the uh, invitation to reaffirm our own baptismal vows. And through that reaffirmation, we can remember God's hospitality in inviting us into the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. And we also set up the baptismal font in the lobby throughout Lent, and we put a little bit of holy water in it. So you might even, when you pass by, just touch the holy water. You might touch the holy water and make the sign of your cross over yourself, or if you're not comfortable, just touch the water. And, and through that tangible reminder, um, remind yourself of God's great hospitality of welcoming you into his family. And then in the Eucharist, which we celebrate every week, God even more explicitly offers us hospitality because we come to God's table to be fed. We come to God's table to consume the body and blood of Christ, the food and drink of the new covenant, the food and drink that symbolize Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, which is the act that allows us to enter into eternal life in Christ. And I would encourage you to think about receiving this hospitality. Because I think it's important that we receive this hospitality because I, over and over again, the Bible emphasizes that the hospitality we show is meant to reflect and invite others into God's hospitality. It's not something that we do for our own social advancement or to get brownie points for helping others. And it's only through receiving Jesus's hospitality that we can then extend it to others. If we return to, that passage, to the passage in John 4, we can see this again with the Samaritan woman. She receives Jesus' offer of living water. And, and John calls her attention to this because in verse 28, do you notice what she leaves at the well? She leaves her pitcher, that pitcher that she brought for the tangible water, because she's, she has something better. She has that gift of living water from Jesus. And then she goes to invite others into this gift, which is something that she couldn't do until she received it herself. And so the Christian practice of hospitality is ultimately self-effacing. Uh, it's about inviting others into God's love and care, not about impressing friends or earning brownie points. 
Notice at the end of today's passage what the Samaritan villagers say. They say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. They now believe in Jesus because of Jesus, not because of the woman. Her, necessary was, her invitation was necessary to bring them to Jesus, but her goal was to point them to Jesus, not to herself. And so when we extend hospitality, we are pointing people to Jesus and his extravagant hospitality. We can model our hospitality after his. We can extend hospitality in surprising and unexpected ways. We can listen for people's deepest needs. We can welcome those whom our society says it's okay to ignore. But what are some practical ways to do this? And I'm I'm going to close today with just a couple of practical suggestions. I will say, Savior is an incredibly hospitable church, um, so feel free to take these and adapt them. Um, I do think that for myself, at least, some of my hospitality muscles have become atrophied over the last couple of years. Um, So hopefully this will help kind of, if if you're in a similar situation, help jumpstart some ways to think about hospitality. So first, sharing meals. This is the basic traditional form of hospitality. Um, And I I used to be an English teacher, but this is the one case where I would allow since the dawn of time. um, Sharing meals has been a form of human hospitality. And it's a really powerful way to connect with others. And sometimes this might look like how you imagine sort of traditional hospitality, the beautifully laid table, the carefully planned menu, all the trimmings. And that's lovely. Not all of us are incredibly gifted at that. This sort of hospitality might look like squeezing in an extra chair at the cafeteria, or inviting someone to join you for coffee, or currently in my home, when my 13-year-old comes home with some unexpected friends after school, just letting them raid my pantry for snacks. Another way that we can show hospitality in similar ways to Jesus is by being an active listener, an active, careful listener to others. Right, in his encounter with the woman at the well, as we've discussed, we see Jesus willing to listen and engage. He draws the woman out, even though she begins the conversation in shock that he even wants to talk to her. Um, and he remains engaged in the conversation even when she challenges him. And even when, she knows, when Jesus knows more than the woman realizes how much of an outsider she truly is. If you've ever experienced this type of listening, you know how much of a gift it is. So we can practice hospitality by extending this type of loving welcome and care in the conversations we have with others. And then finally, my final suggestion for hospitality is to think about extending hospitality beyond your comfort zone. It's easy to extend hospitality to people who we like. It's more challenging to extend hospitality to those who, for whatever reason, live outside of our normal circles. But if we're going to show hospitality like Jesus, we need to invite everyone in, not just the people who make us comfortable. Um, Here's the obligatory note for don't be unsafe in doing this. Um, But inviting people in, even if they uh, make us uncomfortable. And if you don't already do this, I would like to encourage you to take some time this week to pick a way, even a very small way, to extend hospitality beyond your comfort zone. And if you want a really easy way to do this, I'm working right now with World Relief Chicagoland to set up an evening for volunteers from Savior to engage in a conversation cafe um, over Zoom with immigrants and refugees who are learning English. So it would just be about an hour of um, participating in conversation with someone who you probably otherwise would not interact with. 
And so as I come to the end of the sermon, what I want to leave you with is an invitation to notice Jesus's extravagant hospitality in your own life, his gift of living water, his invitation into God's kingdom, his provision of his body and blood in the Eucharist. It's easy to get caught up in the act of hospitality without stopping to receive from Jesus. And I want to encourage all of us, and I very much include myself, to spend time enjoying the kingdom life into which we have been ushered through the waters of baptism by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But like the woman at the well, may we be so amazed by this hospitality that we want to extend it to others, inviting them too into the life of the kingdom. Let our hospitality then be a tangible expression of the love and the care and the welcome that Jesus extends. Amen.